Hey everybody, welcome into episode 99 of Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. We talk pitching and a whole lot more each and every week with the five-time World Series champ, the former Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn, the research ace, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle, and our one-of-one one producer, Dan Work, is with us as well. And speaking of one, there's one week to go until the trade deadline, gentlemen. And here's what's wild to me. David and James, aside from like the White Sox and the Cardinals starting their sell-offs with multiple assets to give out here to the rest of the league, we could be at this very point next week and not see the trade frenzy take off. That's how down to the wire some of these teams figure to be operating, right? Without a doubt, it is, you know, to use the real estate analogy, it is a seller's market and you identified the two teams that we know of for sure. They do have some significant assets. The Cardinals and the and the White Sox both have very desirable assets. But yes, they're going to hold on to them. They're going to they're going to bid them out, and they're going to go to the highest bidder at some point. And sometimes you don't find that out till the last minute. The wild card races are really tight and spread out, so there's not a whole lot of movement. But we have a week left, so one team going five and one or one and five could really swing things. So we're going to have to really pay lock pay attention and lock in on these races during the next week before the deadline. Well, that means we only have like one week to go discussing the pros and cons of potentially dealing Shohei Otani away. So uh, the angels definitely fall into that lump of teams who are going to go down to the wire to figure out what they're going to do with the big move that could affect their long-term future for sure. We're also going to talk about the trade plans for a lot of the powerhouses around Major League Baseball. And I want to point back to a trade that was done last summer as sort of a, a cautionary tale for front offices as they are going about their business this time of year. We're also getting to our Yankees chat as well. They swept the Royals over the weekend. They enter a pretty big stretch now with, uh, I guess, you know, I, I, I doubt a lot of Pure baseball people want want me to call this, but this was their cupcake portion of the schedule that has just passed. And now they're going to be facing a lot of teams they're competing head-to-head with for a playoff spot. So uh, lots to discuss with the Yankees. But let's start it off with the opener, David. And for something that's on your mind each and every week, this is how we begin the program. What do you have for us this week? Well, yeah, I think one point is, is we, we, we saw uh, Brian Cashman of the Yankees bring back Andy Pettit as sort of an advisor. And then obviously before that, previously hiring Sean Casey to be the, the uh, hitting coach. And I keep looking at the Atlanta Braves as kind of the example of the industry in a lot of ways. Alex Anthopoulos, the general manager there, came from Toronto. And he kind of changed his way, ways a little bit in terms of his philosophy. He's a very analytically driven general manager in Toronto. But I think he's come a little bit of full circle and understanding that experience plays too. If you can get the buy-in from former players who are coaches that get kind of up to speed on the analytical side of things, it it presents kind of a good marriage between your analytics department and your coaching staff in terms of interpreting that information, how you deliver that information, classic old school, new school, uh, who's on board, how do you get the buy-in? Alex Anthopoulos has figured it out. If you look at their coaching staff from Ron Washington to Walt Weiss, they're all ex-players, but they all have been schooled on new school, new school stuff and new school information. So that's what everybody I think is kind of searching for uh, across the big leagues, or at least following suit to what the Braves are doing. I think that's how I see Cashman and both, both Casey and Andy Pettit. And I think that's kind of the right, uh, right way to go about it moving forward is that experience still has value. 
you know, guys who actually played the game went through the slumps, the, something like Anthony Rizzo's been through. Sean Casey's been in that batter's box. He understands mentally what that feels like and how you can talk to a hitter like Rizzo who's struggling and how to try to get him out of it along with all the information. This isn't a, you know, a old school, new school, which one's better. This is a blending and the right blend is how you go about it. That's the Nirvana in baseball today. The Atlanta Braves have it. And I think everybody else wants it. And, I, and we haven't even gotten into contractually speaking, how the Braves have locked up all their nucleus of players to long-term deals and you know what that means to a fan base. And there's a lot of layers to peel back there, but nonetheless, I still feel like experience and somewhat is kind of making a little bit of a comeback in the game. And I think it's great. And the Braves certainly are the class of the league. They are running away with the national league East an 11 and a half game lead sprinting with on their way to their sixth straight NL East title on pace for 106 wins. They have it all. The Braves are at the top of the charts in terms of the art of roster construction, but that perfect blend that really came to ahead during 2021 you know people look back after they won the world series and it's like how okay how did they how did they do it well there was a bunch of of stories how they kind of reset right around the midpoint of the season and went back to more of that i don't want to call it old school approach and i don't want to also say shift away from the information but that experience that big league experience it felt like they prescribed to it more they did more of of the moves on the field that I guess caters toward traditional conventional wisdom within the game, right? Like in, in certain situations, they're you know, maybe they're bunting more or certain shifts that that come about. So it was a it was a good blend there. And that, David, you bring that up, and I think back to like Aaron Boone a week ago when he was on Talking Yanks, bringing up different scenarios about, you know, how yeah, the Yankees are struggling right now. They they just you know, lost a terrible series in Colorado at that point. They yet at that point uh, got swept in Anaheim, but he brought up the the Nationals in 2019, the Braves in 2021, all these turnarounds. I, I think about it now after first bringing in Casey, now Andy Pettit, Boone saying this is a move with Pettit that he's wanted to make for a while. He's always been kind of testing the waters with Andy Pettit and his interests. Now he's on as as an advisor, but yeah, maybe the 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 way they are conveying the message toward their players, whether it be in real time on game days, it's changing and it could be for the better. So that kind of strikes me more as uh, a good comparison for the Braves from just a couple of years ago. I think you're spot on. You think we're going to see it more and more from from teams around the league? Uh, right, yes, I do. I, I I think there's real value in that. And, and in some ways, it, it the pendulum swung a little too far one way in terms of you have to be either or, you know, either you get on the bus of analytics or you get left behind. And to me, organizations should probably spend more time educating some of the former players on the analytics side so that there's a real blending of knowledge and, and certainly boots on the ground experience that, that has been undervalued for a while. And, and it doesn't have to be that way. There, there's value on both sides of the aisle. You know, I hate to use the, the, you know, the old cliche of old school, new school, but really that's kind of what it is. And, that's kind of how we started our podcast here, right? Kind of the blending of the new school and the old school. And and uh, to me, that's still kind of a culture war that's gone on in baseball for a long time. It even goes down to the scouting side of things, the traditional boots on the ground scouts who went around to all the stadiums and 
did their scouting with their eyeballs is, is kind of been diminished over the years. Some, some organizations, including the, the Astros almost completely did away with that and did all their scouting based on video and, and some of the, some of the, uh, the metrics that are out there that are, that are available. So, so including Statcast. So to me, the, there's still value in, Hey, I, I pitched a, a, the seventh game of a world series. I know what that feels like. I've been in that situation or, you know what? I've been through an old for 30 slump. You know, I, I know what that feels like. Let me talk you through it. You can show somebody uh, that's slumping all the information you want on the Here's, here's what you're doing. Here's your tendencies. Here's what, here's what the analytics say. And it, it, he's still going to get jammed up with that information. He needs to talk through it. He needs the human touch, the human element. And, that's been diminished a little bit and it's good to see it kind of make a comeback because a lot of these baseball lifers have value. They have something to offer. You know, I, I, as I said before, I wish there'd be more of an effort on both sides to kind of reach out to each other and, and the, the lifer baseball guy, Hey, educate yourself on the new school. And therefore you can push back or you can understand it better and, and, and interpret the information better because coaching the best coaches are the ones who, say the same thing different ways. And that goes right to the heart of analytics. Hey, I interpret this information this way. Let me explain it to you on a baseball level and an experience level that might click a light bulb for, for a hitter that's struggling or a pitcher that needs to hear it. Right. And you look at the Braves a couple of years ago. Yeah. You have Ron Washington and a veteran coaching staff, but they overhauled their infield defense from one of the worst to one of the best during that season with their analytics department. So it's never been this either or. And, and the Braves, they're doing it now. They did it then. They were riding the long ball. That That's a maybe a thought of as a new school analytical way of thinking, you know, home run reliance, a, an offense that's powered by home runs. You retain more of your scoring with the home run ball in October, and that is how you get success offensively in the playoffs. Well, the Braves did that as well as anybody in recent years, and they're doing it now, which – yeah, they're the highest scoring team and they're hitting the most home runs. That's a good sign for them moving forward in October. Thank you for cleaning that up for me, James, because I think I said it in reverse order about the Braves and the way they, you know, use their defensive shifts uh, in, in 2021. But David, I mean, they'd have to rip the J on my journalism jacket if I if I didn't ask you this at this point, because we're on the, the topic here about more and more experienced players getting involved is that something that you'd be interested in or are you just too busy with broadcasting at the moment? Yeah, I kind of feel like that ship has sailed a little bit at this point. You know, I would have liked to have, uh, excuse me, maybe gotten a little ex experience coaching on the minor league level. You know, we've seen some guys jump right out of the booth. You know, Sean Casey's probably the, the, the prime example of that Aaron Boone as well, but uh, maybe five, 10 years ago might've been a good move for me, but. I'm pretty happy here and towing with the slab. You know, I got got my podcast here with you guys. I'll enjoy it. So certainly enjoy the broadcasting as well. So I kind of feel like that ship has sailed for me, but you never say never in this game or in this world. All right, let's get to a team where the perception is they do everything with the iPad and the analytics. That's the Tampa Bay Rays because they are four and 14 in the month of July. They have fallen behind Baltimore in the AL East. At the time we we're recording this, they're two and a half games in back of Baltimore. Have we seen the Rays at their low point yet? Probably pretty close at this point. You know, the injuries have just really taken their toll, especially on the starting rotation. You know, even though, you know, they've, they've, 
They still have a great farm system. I think they are probably the team to watch the most at the trade deadline because they have tremendous assets in their organization and in their minor league system that if they really wanted to make a trade for a show, hey, Otani, they'd be a dark horse in that, trying to make a move. This is our chance. This is our window. We're not going to let this slip away. Let's go ahead and spend some of the capital that that we've developed and, and, and try to win. I think the Rays could be in that position. So they're a team to watch. They need pitching. They need starters. They need more arms. The, their offense, we know, has been pretty good, you know, top to bottom. And even the, the recent spell notwithstanding, they're still, still pretty good offense. They need some arms. You'd hope that this is the, the low point for them, a 4-14 four and 14 July. Their schedule is a little tricky the next week or so before the deadline. You have the Citrus Series against the, the Marlins, although they're maybe coming back to the pack. And then a road trip, Houston, Yankees, Detroit. Detroit's a soft landing there, but we'll find out a little bit more about them. The one thing they do have in their corner is, yes, as jarring as it is that they've squandered this American League East lead to the Orioles, they're still six and a half games clear for playoff spots. So, yes, the division is obviously the goal, but they still have built up so much wiggle room with their hot start. And they're pitching – they should be in the market for a starter. Uh, bullpen, too. They were they were a league-leading bullpen for the first couple months of the season, and they've really taken a step back. Maybe it's a little bit more because they've been so reliant on the bullpen with all the injuries they've had in the rotation. Their top three, you look at them in a potential playoff series with McClanahan, Glassnow, and Eflin, that's about as good as it gets for a top three in the majors. But maybe some depth pieces in the rotation to shore things up and kind of stabilize the innings that you need the rest of the way. Yeah, I'm with David. A death piece like Shohei Otani, I think, would do wonders. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I, I look at the Rays and I think they're different from some of these other you know surprising teams like like the Orioles and you know, I guess throw an Arizona in there in terms of their pitching. Like they don't need pitching help to help out with their young, inexperienced starters who may be up against innings. They just need stabilizers, and they're as good right now as they've you know ever been in terms of being in a position to seriously contend for a title. So yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what the Rays are able to do to kind of help themselves over the next week with trades, but also get themselves out of this rut that they're in. I think that's what they need, stabilizers on the pitching staff. I, I, obviously, Otani would make a massive difference. And I think also it would take what has been a very talented offense and just bring it right to the top. So yeah, you talk about maybe Otani being available, certain teams leaving no doubt. I love using that phrase. The Rays are at the top of my list here. People, more Tone of the Slab is coming up. But first, I need to tell you about how you can hit it out of the park this baseball season with DraftKings Sportsbook. New customers can place a $5 bet and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, all customers can take a shot at bigger payouts with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, sign up with code SLAB, that's S-L-A-B, and new customers can bet just 5 bucks and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800 327 5050 or visit gambling helpline ma.org. In New York, call 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY 
in Kansas. Call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 or plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Opt-in and 10-plus leg requirement for 100% boost. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash baseball terms. That brings us to our next point, gentlemen. We've talked about Shohei Otani a lot, rightfully so. Uh, John Morosi does a great job for uh, MLB Network. He reported that there have been teams, and he named two of them in Baltimore and Arizona. They've inquired with the Angels about Otani's trade availability, and the Angels continue to have discussions on whether they should buy or sell. So if we wake up even on Monday, July 31st, and the Angels are still behind the Yankees and the Red Sox, two teams on the outside looking in in the wild card standings, what should they do with Shohei Otani? It's a fascinating argument, right? You could really prosecute both sides of this argument. And from a baseball sense, Jack, I kind of – I kind of know where you are on this issue that you could get some good pieces back and then try to re-sign him back. That's probably the smart thing, similar to, to what the, the Yankees did and how they got Glaber Torres when they traded Aroldis Chapman back when they reset uh, several years ago. With that being said, Otani's just a different level. I know. Uh, and then when you factor in the ownership as well, the, the indecisiveness there on what to do, whether even to sell the franchise. Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, had the franchise up for sale and then changed his mind. So that's kind of what you're dealing with there. The best way forward for the Angels is to sign Otani, re-sign him. He's that valuable. The advertising from the from Japanese comp- companies around the stadium is prevalent. Everywhere you look at at, at the Big A, there, there's there's companies from Japan advertising there. There's lines around the block. I mentioned this in last in our last po- podcast about Otani jerseys being sold after the game. Fans just hanging out. They got to keep the stores open later for Otani gear to sell it. Uh, the best way for the Angels to move forward, in my mind, is to continue to sell Otani on staying right there with the Angels. Try to sneak into postseason. Maybe you catch uh, lightning in a bottle and you get a a little bit of a postseason run, maybe even get a deep postseason run with him being the star and on center stage. And that might be the best way you entice him to sign back, to come back and, and stay on the angels. So he's that much. He's, he's such an outlier. He's so different than anybody else. That's the way I think they're going to go. And you, I, my argument would be, you know what? I, I'm with you. If you lose him, you take the two draft picks or whatever, and you take all the revenue you're going to make over the last two months of the season, including ratings, including a historic potential home run chase, including maybe sneaking into postseason, and then go ahead and sell all those Otani jerseys and milk it for all it's worth and hope you can entice them to sign back. We're going to find out a, a lot about them in the next week or so because they are starting off a big road trip. And who knows? Maybe Shohei Otani has played his last home game in Anaheim already. It's a nine-game trip. You have three games to hopefully you know fatten up on the Tigers. And then you go to Toronto, one of the teams you're chasing in the wild card race. You have three games north of the border this weekend, and then you have three in Atlanta. So that's going to be a real test of a road trip. And that's going to be three, eight games before the deadline on this nine game trip. And maybe you can really chop into that four and a half game wild card deficit. You have three teams to jump, 
but they're all in the American League East. Hopefully you can hope that they beat up on each other and, you know, a couple slide back to the pack. But the Angels, you have, Coney, you nailed it with this being a unique situation for a unique player. And you could even, I mean, you got into it a little bit at the end, but there, there could be a chance that this guy could be going on a, on a big home run chase going after Aaron Judge or beyond uh, 60 home runs plus. So you can even rely on selling tickets and, and continuing the frenzy around Otani to, to boost your team. I hate sounding so negative with this for, for our Angel fans, but if like ha- have the Angels gotten to the point where they've directly asked him even, you know, recently, hey, do you envision having interest in re-signing with us? Hey, like, has he given an answer to that? Because if he if he isn't giving a yes or no answer to that, I hear you both, and it's really enticing. I mean, it's money, right? It, it, you're talking about ratings, merchandise. That's a lot of money that you could leave on the table by, by trading him. But if he's not able to answer a simple question like that, is he that much of a unicorn that you kind of have to shy away from, uh, you know, baseball GM 101? You think so? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Valid point, Shaq. No, I, I'm with you on that. That's what makes this such a fascinating debate because you really can make strong points both ways. To your point, the only thing I've heard is Otani say that he's still extremely interested in winning with the Angels. That's all he's thinking about. He's mm-hmm. a team guy. He plays it very close to the vest. His interpreter is the guy that's with him every day, even in the offseason. He's the one guy who knows who he probably confides with. But no, I mean, other than that, it's just, hey, I'm an angel. He's a good teammate by all accounts. They love him in that clubhouse. A bit of a goofball even. Uh, good sense of humor. Really just wants to win. And that's what he said on the record. Hey, I'm, I'm interested in winning right now with the angels. So to me, that goes back to the heart of the argument that if he's wavering, you don't know he wants to win. Is he a West Coast guy still? We know that six years ago that he preferred the West Coast over the East Coast. Turned down the Yankees six years ago. Does he still feel that way? Is that our market? The the West Coast teams, that's, that's who we're competing against here. If we sneak into the playoffs, does that impact his, his decision-making? Is it really for him about winning? Uh, Mark Gubazad told me, who, who's the analyst, former pitcher analyst for the Angels, that Otani makes close to $70 million a year in endorsements, where he is right now. So... Yeah, if they sneak into the playoffs, that might that might sell him. You know, it might be sort of that kind of a situation that he loves the Angels, but he wants to win, and he needs that last little boost. And all of a sudden, Mike Trout comes back, Anthony Rendon comes back, they make a little bit of a run, they sneak into the playoffs. That might be the difference for for him mentally and saying, you know what, hey, maybe we can win here. And look, we've had we've been on the you know don't trade him, do trade him. Let's not sugarcoat it either. This is a pretty gloomy situation for the LA Angels. If you look at their playoff odds on fan graphs, they're projected to finish with 82 wins there. And their playoff odds are 
And it's a similar situation on Pocota with baseball prospectus, another one of the big playoff odds projection systems. They have them at 83 wins, also a 13% chance at the playoffs at the moment. So this is still a, a real long shot for them to make the playoffs. So there is a there is a really good case to be made to say, you know what, this isn't the year. Maybe we do just pack it in, try to do the the flip them and bring them back thing and and go from there. So there it's really a pickle here that you could really see both sides having a valid argument here. And we're going to find out in the next week that is th- this could be a spot where you would almost rather go one and six over the next week than six and then three and three or something. You know what I mean? Where you, you need to have that clarity. Okay. We're really out of it. Or, Hey, we just went five and one. We swept the tigers. We took two out of three in, in Toronto. We're riding high. We're back. Here's another point in all this. And look, if, if, if Otani is giving off that, that vibe that a playoff run and a playoff appearance could possibly have some influence on him signing a long-term deal, yeah, it may sway in the other direction here. The Angels should go for it. Let's talk about them potentially going for that because if they're not going to sell, they have to buy. I mean, and and does that mean rentals for the Angels to just try and sneak in as that final wild card? Let's even paint a rosier picture. As the second wild card, are they getting rentals? Are they depleting their minor league assets for a rental? Are they making trades to build on for the future? It can't just be like, okay, we're not going to sell, and the Angels stand pat. They have work to do here. They do have work to do here. And uh, to me, if you look at recent uh, maneuvering by organizations and trades made at the deadline, think of somebody like Clay Holmes that the Yankees got. That's really undervalued. That's the place you go looking in the weeds for relievers. It's always about the bullpen. Bullpens are so fungible year to year. Relievers are, are so prone to getting a reset and maybe getting under a, a different uh, advisory department, analytics, pitching coaches that tell them, hey, make this maneuver, switch this, throw this pitch more. Clay Holmes, throw your sinker more. Oh, light bulb goes on, whole different pitcher shows up. That's the lightning in the bottle that the organizations are looking for. Obviously, the Angels need more help on the depth side of things. It's all about depth and pitching. Every organization needs pitching. But it's really those undervalued relievers that that are out there. They're still out there, and sometimes they're all the 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 own your own organizations don't do a good enough job of self evaluating, and you let a piece like that slip out there, or somebody somebody recognizes a a change that could be made, and let's trade for this guy, and then make this change, and all of a sudden he takes off and has tremendous success. That's what I'm looking at: bullpens across the board and undervalued assets. And the Angels need help there. They have the ninth highest bullpen ERA in the major leagues. Everybody could use bullpen help this time of year. But they, they're lacking there. And also in the rotation, they have the 10th highest starting pitching ERA with Otani on the team. So they, they do have a depth issue in the rotation behind Otani, in the bullpen. Their offense is pretty good. They are sixth in the majors in scoring runs. They're around five runs a game. They can put up runs. That's not the issue for them this year. It's the pitching. Yeah. If they decide to not sell, the Angels have to seriously buy in a week's time. Uh, Gentlemen, I want to bring up a recent trade of a reliever since we're on the the subject here. Last year, the Brewers surprised a lot of teams when they traded Josh Hader to the Padres 
at the deadline. And, and that included their own team, their own group of players. The Brewers missed the playoffs by one game. And you have players like Corbin Burns saying that there was an emotional impact in a negative way of that hater trade on the Brewers clubhouse. So with a week to go here before the deadline, what precautionary measures might front offices be taken to to make sure that they do not make that same mistake the Brewers did last year? You know, the Brewers are in a unique position. They obviously are running under a budget. They're very uh, forward-thinking in terms of staying under that budget and what's sustainable and how, how we move forward with that premise. But with all that being said, you know it was a huge mistake. And they're right in that situation again. They have assets that are in the same spot that, that the hater was in last year. And how could you trade Corbin Burns right now? I mean, that's another guy that, hey, can we afford him moving forward? Contractually, where is he on his his arc to free agency? What do we do? What's the smart move? Kind of goes down to kind of the same premise for Otani. What's the smart baseball move? Hey, we should probably trade him long term. Is it? And Corbin Burns, you, you know, at one point does Milwaukee – put the stake down and say, you know what, we're going to win this division this year. Um, it's tough. They have tremendous competition. Upstart Reds are barking, you know, are, are right there uh, in terms of uh, competing with them. You know, it's they have a slim margin right now and while they're leading leading the division. But it's time for Milwaukee to say, you know what, let, let's, let's, let's lay down the stakes here and let's go against the grain of long-term sustainability and try to win right here, right now. The – I'm going to go back to 1997. The White Sox uh, made an infamous, they called it the white flag trade. They traded Wilson Alvarez, Danny Darwin, Roberto Hernandez. And that was with them only three and a half games out of first place behind Cleveland. And that was considered one of the great examples of a team packing it in when they still had a chance. The Brewers are a game and a half in first place ahead of the Reds. And they've been beating up the Reds lately in, in the last couple of weeks, head to head to surge into first place. Maybe there's a way. And I, I, don't mean, you know, trading Corbin Burns because I don't think that's something they could afford to do. But, you know, the the Brewers front office is one of the better ones in the game. Maybe if, if they feel the need to, there's a way to add and subtract at the same time. And one issue you you mentioned, the the hater trade Shaq, and an, another one that I that I thought of that um, really ticked off a lot of the people in the clubhouse was in 2021. The Mariners were getting back in the race. They had a big series against the Astros. Kendall Graveman was on a great roll. And then all of a sudden, before the deadline, the Mariners trade Graveman to the Astros, the rival and the team that they're chasing for, it, it was almost like they're packing it in and the players were really upset that the front office, it's like they didn't believe in them, that they thought that they wouldn't be able to make a run. And, they tried to answer that, you know, they were quelling the mutiny with Tyler Anderson. They traded for Tyler Anderson after trading Graveman. And that really didn't jive with the, with the clubhouse. And you want to try to avoid a situation like that, where, you, you know, you don't want to mess up the, the, the vibe that you have going in your own clubhouse. So even if you have to add and subtract, it's a really tight, tight rope to walk. Yeah. I think they got, they got Abraham Toro in that trade uh, for, for Kendall Graveman. And he's not, he's not on the Mariners anymore just two years later, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, for the Brewers last year was definitely the year with hater. I'm hoping they learn from their mistakes. Cause if, if you think about them always being budget conscious, you have 
Burns. I know Woodruff has been, you know, up and down in terms of health, but like this era, this three-year era, like this was the time, if not now, when in terms of pitching, you had it. And to to not add, I guess, offensively, not press on the gas in that direction, and then now say, okay, well, we need to be prudent with what we do for our future and perhaps explore getting more assets for Corbin Burns. It's like, well, what are we here for? The We're here for winning. Point. Yes, exactly. Great, great points on both parts. Um, the collective morale of a clubhouse is a big deal and hard to quantify, right? You can't put a number on that. The the, the morale uh, the deflation that they had in Milwaukee last year. Conversely, the morale boost you get when your front office does believe in you and makes a move and adds. I've been in that position. I was the guy who was being added, and I walked into clubhouses and saw clubhouses light up. Toronto in 92, when I walked in that clubhouse, the players were wearing cone heads. They were so fired up that, that I got traded there and that the front office, Paul Beeston, the general manager at the time leading the way was sent a clear message there. And it was a huge lift for those guys. I was stunned by it. I was like, I, 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 I felt the pressure. I'm like, Oh, they're really counting on me here, but yes, collective morale in a clubhouse is a big deal. Hard to put a number on you know, sports psychiatry, this is on the experience side. If you've been through that and you've done that, you you feel it, you know it means something. How does it translate into wins or batting averages or numbers? Hard to say, but it's real and uh, it, it's emotional and uh, it needs to be taken seriously. The reason why I, I think I thought about this topic was because I saw that the Reds, who are young, they're having success, but there were reports that Jonathan India could be on the trading block and for me, when I look at the Reds, you know, the Yankees play them. I, I saw them up close earlier this season. He's one of their leaders. So I don't see how much that, you know, how much sense that makes if they're trying to win a division here. I know he's not the a grizzled vet with a decade in the majors plus like like Joey Votto. But for me, in some way, he might be more relatable to those young, talented players that have put them in this position because India's recently been where those players are now. So I thought about the the hater deal. I feel like the Reds need to be careful if they're seriously thinking about parting ways with a guy like Jonathan India. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's yeah, I'm not sure the timing's right for him. Maybe an offseason if if they mm-hmm. do want to consider that. But yeah, I I'm I'm with you guys. Again, he's he's a leader there. Yeah. Let's set the bar at a 590 winning percentage, guys. Uh, because there are only four teams at the moment that have a 590 winning percentage or better. That's Baltimore, Tampa Bay, the Rangers, and the Braves. So those are statistically the top four teams in baseball. I want to know how the best of the best are going to be approaching the deadline here. So how do you think those four teams add for their big run down the stretch? Baltimore is loaded. They're not going anywhere. If you think about it, uh, their farm system maybe has the best prospect who's a 19 year old already in double a Jackson holiday is, is, is a kid that's on the rise. He's going to be their shortstop of the future. They have numerous prospects. They could go either way. You know, when you, know, if you think about Baltimore, they have the capital to, to make a huge move for right now, even though they're ahead of schedule, but right now they, they're the second best team in the big leagues. If you think about it to, to the Braves, the Braves are clear, clearly the front runner in, in major league baseball right now. And who's the second best team. I still like the Dodgers. You still got Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman out there in LA. 
they have a good farm system as well. We'll see what they do with the trade deadline. But Baltimore moving forward, they drafted high this year. They had, If you look at the top 100, top 50 prospects list, uh, in in the uh, athletic, Keith Law just came out with his updated, you know, top fifty prospects. Jackson Holiday at the top. Watch out, Baltimore is not going anywhere. They're a dangerous team right now. If they want to make a move, they can. If they don't, they've got plenty plenty of guys right there that that are ready to call up and and bring bring on and help. So the next ten years are going to be going to be dealing with the Baltimore Orioles, especially with Adley Rushman leading the way as a franchise player. Well, for the O's, you mentioned Jackson Holiday. They're in a spot where this isn't like, oh, we're going all in. We're going to empty the farm system to get this guy and that guy. You can say, all right, we're these guys are untouchable. They have, if you look at the, the most recent Baseball America Top 100, they have seven guys there. So you could even deal from the bottom of that group and say, hey, we could trade two or three of these guys and really shore up our team for a push while still preserving some of your top guys that you like the most. As for maybe a team like the Braves, I think we're already starting to see a little bit of their approach at the deadline here. These, these are these are good problems to have. You can put your feet up. Your your next the next meaningful game for the Atlanta Braves is going to be on October third, or or no, really uh, after the wild card series. You know, October sixth or seventh or whatever day that the uh, NLDS is going to start. So they are shoring up the back end of the bullpen. They traded for Pierce Johnson from the Rockies and Taylor Hearn. From the Rangers. These are not seismic moves, but it's pretty nice to say, hey, we have Rice Iglesias, Joe Jimenez, Kirby Yates, Colin McHugh, even a Ben Heller in the in the higher end of the bullpen. We're getting guys for the those sixth, fifth, and sixth and seventh rungs in our eight-man bullpen. And maybe an under an underrated asset, maybe like a Pierce Johnson who got off to a very poor start, but his home road splits are very wide in Colorado and you're saying, Hey, if we get this guy back to sea level and get him in under our tent, he can really take off. You, you brought that up with a clay Holmes comparison, Coney before maybe they're thinking something like this. These are the kinds of, of moves you're going to make in this spot because you are in a pretty good situation for October to get there. But now you're just saying, okay, maybe we add a bench piece. Maybe we add another bullpen guy. These are good problems to have for a team like that. I don't know, the Rangers, they're in a real dogfight with the Astros for the AL West. So even if you think, well, they are in a good spot to make the playoffs, but the difference between winning your division and ending up stuck in a wild card race is really big. So the AL West, you're probably going to end up being a one or two seed and get a bye. Whereas if you're in the wild card, you could be on the road. You could have a home series, but against a tougher opponent than the Twins or Guardians might get as the central winner. So the Rangers, even if they're in a pretty good spot playoff-wise, you are really up against it trying to stave off Houston. Yeah, and the Astros are getting Jordan Alvarez back within days, uh, if not today. At the time we're recording this, so uh, you know that AL West is definitely far from being decided. But look, I, I agree. All they all they all need some form of rotation or bullpen help. You know, I look at the Orioles needing to protect some of the young pitchers with potential innings limits uh, being right around the corner, their workload down the stretch, the Rays, the Braves, the Rangers, a little bit different of a need. They feel like they could all use stabilizers within the rotation. They said that before with Tampa Bay, but you know they, they could stabilize with maybe not some of the top tier pieces that are available in the trade market. And that will be enough to sharpen their chances 
come October. All right, let's talk about the Yankees, guys, because they need offense with a week to go. No doubt about it. Whether it comes internally from some of their their core that's just struggled for most of the summer, potentially turning a corner, or they need an infusion of some fresh talent from outside the organization. That's what they're going to be in the market for. They're always looking for pitching as well. But the focus here is on the Yankees offense. And look, it wasn't a dominant weekend against the Royals by any stretch, but the Yankees banked three wins. And I'm wondering, they do get the sweep of Kansas City. We see promising signs from players like Stanton, LeMahieu, Rizzo. DJ LeMahieu's kind of been doing it for a good stretch now of two weeks or so. But is it enough success for the offense to start performing better? Is it serving as that proverbial launch pad for these players? Yeah, two different ways you could go if you're the Yankees. You continue to build for the future. You're a little bit short on outfielders. So if you identify say maybe the St. Louis Cardinals that have a surplus of outfielders and a match that serves you into next year and in the future years. I think that's probably the the way they'll go. Brian Cashman has shown that in, in, in the past. It's not about just a rental per se to, to try to get through this year. It's more like, Hey, you know what? We need, we need an outfielder. We need somebody that's versatile. that can serve us into next year, the outfield next year. If you look at it, you've got Aaron judge. And then what, you know, are you going to sign back Harrison Bader? Who's still looking for a left fielder. So you, you need outfielders and the guys that are in the minor leagues that are prospects aren't quite ready yet. You know, they, they, you know, Jason Dominguez or uh, Everson P- Pereira in triple A's 22 years old, probably not quite ready to step in and be the answer. So they need a match for outfielders. Now, if they identify Cody Bellinger as the guy that's not only going to be a rental, but he's a guy we, we, we may target for a long-term deal because he's a free agent and his versatility can play all three outfield positions and first base give you coverage for Anthony Rizzo at first base. That kind of makes sense. If you, if you identify him as somebody you want to sign, he's not going to be cheap. So uh, the, certainly uh, the way he's playing now is maybe the hottest hitter in the game going right now. Former Yankee. Uh, I know he wants to play for the Yankees. His father was a Yankee. Cody, you know, uh, Bellinger, you know, Clay Bellinger was a great teammate, a great athlete, a super utility guy. I've talked to Clay. He loves the idea of playing for the Yankees. So, yeah, do they identify him as not just for right now, you know, let's throw him in left field right now and if he can play center field here and there. He's the guy that you target. Hey, you know what? Let's get him in here. Let's see how he does. And let's sign him long-term because that versatility that he brings kind of matches up for the Yankees. I don't know if the numbers contractually match up for the Yankees, but his skill set certainly does. Yeah. It's a missed opportunity from the off season, right? They, you, you roll the dice with the Oswaldo Cabrera, Aaron Hicks platoon out in left field, and that didn't work out. But you know, Bellinger, that's a spot where you could have signed any any team could have signed him on a one year pillow contract uh, for him. And he's killing it now. That's an opportunity to say, well, you could have just signed him there. Now you wouldn't have to pay the piper come uh, deadline time when the when the prospect price is, is really high. But as far as the overall offense I guess it depends on how you really think of the team going in, right? If you could look at this and say, well, the default setting for the Yankees is that they have a great offense and they score a lot of runs. And that's what they've been doing for years and years. And every year they're in the top two or three teams in in runs. And so this is them kind of getting back to what they usually do. Now you don't want to overreact to three games against the Royals, but you're going to get a better idea 
we still have a week to go to the deadline. How do they look against the Mets? You're going up against Justin Verlander in the series opener. Then you're facing the Orioles. Then you're facing the Rays. So you're, we're really going to get a little bit more of a test for this team right now. Yeah, I have faith that the the track record for the players that we're talking about, Rizzo and Stanton, like it's too great for them to you know, fall back from even the the level that they're giving right now over the last week or so with Stanton, LeMay, who the last two weeks, Rizzo had a nice weekend. Can he build off that? I think from a traditional sense, yes, he could. Oh, I, I do have faith that those three are going to start to have a can you know a consistent flow of of waves so to speak it's not going to be high tide low tide it's not going to be aggressive uh the the ups and downs aren't going to be as drastic so i think you're you're going to start to see a steady level of performance if not well then there there are a lot of larger problems for this organization moving forward but as far as the trade deadline goes bellinger makes too much sense at this point lefty bat wouldn't mind Randall Grichik either. I know he's right-handed, so so Bellinger's the key there. David, let's end this by talking about what we talked, what we discussed here in in the opener, and just want to have a, I guess, a fun question for you. Just knowing about the people you talk to around the sport, who is a former big leaguer who may be itching to lend their wisdom to a, a major league staff right now to get kind of back into it and has that understanding of the analytical plus big league experience balance. Is there a player that comes to mind? Well, other than Andy Pettit, who's already back and they're in rightly so. And, and I don't know what capacity that they'll take him as much as he wants to give. I, that's, that's the, the sense we get right from Aaron Boone. There's another guy I've always thought was, was really smart, really fun personality too. There's a personality dy- dynamic to this as well. Somebody who can, can make you laugh, you know, somebody who just is upbeat. I think that that's what Sean Casey brings is it just that kind of that Nick Swisher type personality, just a, an A type personality lights up the room is funny is gregarious. The guy for me would be Ryan Dempster. Who's now working for the major league baseball network, a former big league pitcher had a nice career, been around the block a little bit, really smart guy, really fun personality. I think if he wanted to jump in there in a big league clubhouse or, or help an organization, he'd be the guy off the top of my head, you know, as that kind of fits that bill. Very smart, understands the new school, great personality, can make you laugh, has tremendous Harry Carey impersonation, can just 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 have guys rolling on the floor. Sometimes that little things like that go a long way, just to lighten up a clubhouse that gets kind of heavy at times when you're struggling. I like that one. He's really good on the air, too, from, you know, just from the areas that I'm interested in. He's, he's really sharp uh, on the air. And I'll tell you what, if you're poo-pooing that high enthusiasm, high in energy element to it, the Yankees had on Friday Sean Casey and Nick Swisher on the field working with Anthony Rizzo ahead of their series opener with the Royals, and look what happened. So I'm not saying, but I'm just saying. Uh, David, where are you going to be at Sunday night? Uh, Baltimore. Going to be the Yankees in Baltimore. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, I'm going to drive down. I'm going to do the Friday game. Saturday's a Fox game. Friday will be yes. And then Sunday night. First time I think the O's have been on Sunday night baseball in a while. They've earned it. They deserve it. It was a flex game that ESPN flexed into to get to it and see the Yankees and the Orioles go go at it. And I'm anxious to see Baltimore. You know, the best part about Baltimore is, is that a lot of times when you see a rebuild and a sort of a tanking effort, 
I guess we call it, and then a rebuild that the manager's not around. Usually the manager who goes through the tanking part gets left behind at some point. He gets he gets X'd out, and then they bring in somebody like a Buck Walter to lead you the rest of the way, but not the case. Uh, you know, Brandon Hyde has done a great job there, weathered the storm, so I I really enjoy him. You know, it, good to him. He's a good baseball guy, um, paid his dues there. And has come out the other side is still the leader of that team. And and uh, that's a good story in and of itself. He he is a good story as a manager of a major league team that 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 uh, has hung around and made it. Biggest Yankees Orioles series in quite a few years. That's for damn sure. Uh yeah, it's gonna be awesome seeing Camden Yards on Sunday night baseball. Hasn't happened in quite a while. And uh plus one with you on Brandon Hyde it's great to see that a lot of that hard work and those tough times are turning around for him and he's he's still there guiding this ship for what's been an impressive season for the Orioles so catch uh, David on Sunday night O's and Yanks from Baltimore we'll be back next week right after the trade deadline passes so it'll probably be a Wednesday episode you're going to want to watch out for that subscribe to the YouTube channel that way you do not miss a single thing of what we are streaming each and every week for David Cohn for James Smythe for our great producer Dan Work, I'm Justin Shackle we will talk to you next week on Toe in the Slab Pitching with David Cohn a production of John Boy Media